0: chapter 20 of quicksand this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by elizabeth Clett. quicksand by nella larsen chapter 20 the day was a rainy one helga crane stretched out on her bed felt herself so broken physically mentally that she had given up thinking but back and forth in her staggered brain wavering incoherent thoughts shot shuttle like Her pride would have shut out these humiliating thoughts and painful visions of herself. The effort was too great. She felt alone, isolated from all other human beings, separated even from her own anterior existence by the disaster of yesterday. Over and over, she repeated, there's nothing left but to go now. Her anguish seemed unbearable. For days, for weeks, voluptuous visions had haunted her— Desire had burned in her flesh with uncontrollable violence. The wish to give herself had been so intense that Dr. Anderson's surprising, trivial apology loomed as a direct refusal of the offering. Whatever outcome she had expected, it had been something else than this—this mortification, this feeling of ridicule and self-loathing, this knowledge that she had deluded herself. It was all, she told herself, as unpleasant as possible." Almost she wished she could die. Not quite. It wasn't that she was afraid of death, which had, she thought, its picturesque aspects. It was rather that she knew she would not die. And death, after the debacle, would but intensify its absurdity. Also it would reduce her, Helga Crane, to unimportance, to nothingness. Even in her unhappy present state, that did not appeal to her. Gradually, reluctantly, she began to know that the blow to her self-esteem, the certainty of having proved herself a silly fool, was perhaps the severest hurt which she had suffered. It was her self-assurance that had gone down in the crash. After all, what Dr. Anderson thought didn't matter. She could escape from the discomfort of his knowing gray eyes. But she couldn't escape from sure knowledge that she had made a fool of herself. This angered her further, and she struck the wall with her hands and jumped up and began hastily to dress herself. She couldn't go on with the analysis. It was too hard. Why bother, when she could add nothing to the obvious fact that she had been a fool? I can't stay in this room any longer. I must get out or I'll choke. Her self-knowledge had increased her anguish. Distracted, agitated, incapable of containing herself she tore open drawers and closets, trying desperately to take some interest in the selection of her apparel. It was evening and still raining. In the streets, unusually deserted, the electric lights cast dull glows. Helga Crane, walking rapidly, aimlessly, could decide on no definite destination. She had not thought to take umbrella or even rubbers. Rain and wind whipped cruelly about her, drenching her garments and chilling her body. Soon the foolish little satin shoes which she wore were sopping wet. Unheeding these physical discomforts she went on, but at the open corner of 138th Street a sudden more ruthless gust of wind ripped the small hat from her head. In the next minute the black clouds opened wider and spilled their water with unusual fury. The streets became swirling rivers. Helga Crane, forgetting her mental torment, looked about anxiously for a sheltering taxi, A few taxis sped by, but inhabited, so she began desperately to struggle through wind and rain toward one of the buildings, where she could take shelter in a store or a doorway. But another whirl of wind lashed her, and scornful of her slight strength, tossed her into the swollen gutter. Now she knew beyond all doubt that she had no desire to die, and certainly not there or then, not in such a messy, wet manner." Death had lost all of its picturesque aspects to the girl lying soaked and soiled in the flooded gutter. So though she was very tired and very weak she dragged herself up and succeeded finally in making her way to the store whose blurred light she had marked for her destination. She had opened the door and had entered before she was aware that, inside, people were singing a song which she was conscious of having heard years ago—hundreds of years, it seemed. Repeated over and over she made out the words. SHOWERS OF BLESSINGS, SHOWERS OF BLESSINGS. She was conscious, too, of a hundred pairs of eyes upon her as she stood there, drenched and dishevelled, at the door of this improvised meeting-house. SHOWERS OF BLESSINGS The appropriateness of the song, with its constant reference to showers, the ridiculousness of herself in such surroundings, was too much for Helga Crane's frayed nerves. She sat down on the floor, a dripping heap, and laughed and laughed and laughed it was into a shocked silence that she laughed for at the first hysterical peal the words of the song had died in the singers throats and the wheezy organ had lapsed into stillness but in a moment there were hushed solicitous voices she was assisted to her feet and led haltingly to a chair near the low platform at the far end of the room On one side of her a tall angular black woman under a queer hat sat down, on the other a fattish yellow man with huge outstanding ears and long nervous hands. The singing began again, this time a low wailing thing. Oh, the bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be, when I let the Saviour's pity plead in vain and proudly answered, All of self and none of thee, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me, I beheld him, bleeding on the cursed tree, heard him pray, forgive them, father, and my wistful heart said faintly, Some of self, and some of thee, some of self, and some of thee. There were, it appeared, endless moaning verses. Behind Helga a woman had begun to cry audibly, and soon somewhere else another. Outside the wind still bellowed. The wailing singing went on less of self and more of thee, less of self and more of thee. Helga too began to weep, at first silently, softly, then with great racking sobs. Her nerves were so torn, so aching, her body so wet, so cold. It was a relief to cry unrestrainedly, and she gave herself freely to soothing tears, not noticing that the groaning and sobbing of those about her had increased— unaware that the grotesque ebony figure at her side had begun gently to pat her arm to the rhythm of the singing and to croon softly, Yes, child, yes, child. Nor did she notice the furtive glances that the man on her other side cast at her between his fervent shouts of Amen and Praise God for a sinner. She did notice, though, that the tempo, that the atmosphere of the place had changed, and gradually she ceased to weep, and gave her attention to what was happening about her. Now they were singing. Jesus knows all about my troubles. Men and women were swaying and clapping their hands, shouting and stamping their feet to the frankly irreverent melody of the song. Without warning the woman at her side threw off her hat, leaped to her feet, waved her long arms, and shouted shrilly, Glory! Hallelujah! and then in wild ecstatic fury jumped up and down before Helga, clutching at the girl's soaked coat, and screamed, "'Come to Jesus, you poor lost sinner!' Alarmed for the fraction of a second, involuntarily Helga had shrunk from her grasp, wriggling out of the wet coat when she could not loosen the crazed creature's hold. At the sight of the bare arms and neck growing out of the clinging red dress, a shudder shook the swaying man at her right. On the face of the dancing woman before her, a disapproving frown gathered. She shrieked, "'A scarlet woman! Come to Jesus, you poor lost Jezebel!' At this the short brown man on the platform raised a placating hand, and sanctimoniously delivered himself of the words, "'Remember the words of our master. Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Let us pray for our Aaron's sister.' Helga Crane was amused angry, disdainful as she sat there, listening to the preacher praying for her soul. But though she was contemptuous she was being too well entertained to leave. And it was at least warm and dry. So she stayed, listening to the fervent exhortation to God to save her and to the zealous shoutings and groanings of the congregation. Particularly she was interested in the writhings and weepings of the feminine portion which seemed to predominate. Little by little the performance took on an almost bacchic vehemence. Behind her, before her, beside her, frenzied women gesticulated, screamed, wept, and tottered to the praying of the preacher, which had gradually become a cadenced chant. When at last he ended, another took up the plea in the same moaning chant, and then another. It went on and on without pause, with the persistence of some unconquerable faith exalted beyond time and reality. Fascinated, Helga Crane watched until there crept upon her an indistinct horror of an unknown world. She felt herself in the presence of a nameless people, observing rites of a remote, obscure origin. The faces of the men and women took on the aspect of a dim vision. This, she whispered to herself, is terrible. I must get out of here. But the horror held her. She remained motionless— watching as if she lacked the strength to leave the place—foul, vile, and terrible, with its mixture of breaths, its contact of bodies, its concerted convulsions, all in wild appeal for a single soul—her soul. And as Helga watched and listened, gradually a curious influence penetrated her. She felt an echo of the weird orgy resound in her own heart. She felt herself possessed by the same madness. She too felt a brutal desire to shout and to sling herself about. Frightened at the strength of the obsession, she gathered herself for one last effort to escape, but vainly. In rising, weakness and nausea from last night's unsuccessful attempt to make herself drunk overcame her. She had eaten nothing since yesterday. She fell forward against the crude railing which enclosed the little platform. For a single moment she remained there in silent stillness because she was afraid she was going to be sick and in that moment she was lost, or saved. The yelling figures about her pressed forward, closing her in on all sides. Maddened she grasped at the railing, and with no previous intention began to yell like one insane, drowning every other clamor, while torrents of tears streamed down her face. She was unconscious of the words she uttered, or their meaning. Oh God, mercy, mercy, have mercy on me! but she repeated them over and over. From those about her came a thunderclap of joy. Arms were stretched toward her with savage frenzy. The women dragged themselves upon their knees or crawled over the floor like reptiles, sobbing and pulling their hair and tearing off their clothing. Those who succeeded in getting near to her leaned forward to encourage the unfortunate sister, dropping hot tears and beads of sweat upon her bare arms and neck. The thing became real. A miraculous calm came upon her. Life seemed to expand, and to become very easy. Helga Crane felt within her a supreme aspiration toward the regaining of simple happiness, a happiness unburdened by the complexities of the lives she had known. About her the tumult and the shouting continued, but in a lesser degree. Some of the more exuberant worshippers had fainted into inert masses, the voices of others were almost spent. Gradually the room grew quiet and almost solemn. And to the kneeling girl time seemed to sink back into the mysterious grandeur and holiness of far-off simpler centuries. End of chapter twenty.